Talk Radio. You're in to all things music. The moment that I was able to stand up on stage and sing, and people came and they listened to it, and I felt I could touch hearts. That's what I wanted to do since I was five years old, and hmm. that for me is making it. Welcome to Making It with Terry Woolman, the show that explores the secrets, successes, and strategies for making it in the music biz. And now, here's your host, Terry Woolman. to the show. And thanks for tuning in. I want to let you know how much I appreciate you joining us on our show every week. If you missed our last interview, you can hear it and all of our episodes at entertalkradio.com slash making it or download our app and take us with you. So often I get asked questions about the creative process. So I created this show to focus on what it takes to have a lasting career in the ever-changing landscape of the music business. You're really in for a treat, as I've invited my friends, some of the best and brightest in music, to share their stories on how they have influenced the music that has shaped our lives. I guarantee you're going to love it. So let's get started. My guests today are Tuck and Patty. For 40 years, this unique genre-crossing vocal guitar-jazz duo has cast its passionate musical spell worldwide capturing the hearts of lovers, the respect of jazz buffs, and the jaw-dropping awe of guitarists and singers. To understand Tuck and Patty, start with the wellspring of love within them, then their music begins to make perfect sense. Married 37 years, Tuck Andrus and Patty Cathcart continue to stoke the fires, not only of their own love of music and their passion for making music together. They have a long-standing tradition, minimalist arrangements featuring Tuck's extraordinary virtuosity and Patty's rich mezzo-soprano. Seeing the complexity of Tuck's guitar work, most are surprised to learn that Patty is the actual writer, arranger, and producer. Without even blinking, Tuck, the problem solver, brags, Patty writes and arranges, I am just the orchestra. Please welcome my guests today, Tuck and Patty. Hi. I know. Hi, Terry. <laughs> Hi, Tuck. And, and Patty, I, I, I know. And it's kind of the reaction of, um, you know, most, actually every one of my guests, you know, in the last two plus years that I've been doing this show is, is, you know, when people, I guess I'm the same way when I hear my credits being read or people, you know, waxing poetic about me, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of, I just sort of chuckle as well. So I get it. <laughs> I you have to get somebody get else to do it because it's, so, it's too hard to do it. <laughs> right. Here, you read this. I can't. <laughs> I'm just so cool. <laughs> yeah, none so, of us really thought we were going to become publicists when we signed on to be, to become uh, artists. I so, certainly that's, that's did. what you end up thinking about. Right. Wow, that's so well That's so well put. You know, and not only we've become publicists, we are... Um, we are engineers and producers and um, marketing executives and, you know, fulfillment, <laughs> just every tour managers, you know, now it's, it's certainly not what I think we, any of us signed on for, but you know, that's all of us, you know, every artist that I've spoken to, it's kind of what it takes. We're all um, making it up as we go along and, and, and we have, a willingness. I I think it's probably the open heartedness and the, the willingness that, that we bring into our music is what we've grown into bringing into our business. Would, mm-hmm. would, would that kind I, of feel I that, completely feel that way? I, you we, we, we talked about it early on. It's like, you can sort of lament it and go oh, you know, we don't want to do this. And, you know, 
or you look at it like you're the gift of your music and all this, this wonderful thing that we've been all given to be able to go out and play is a really precious thing. But I think in that, if we, and if we are lucky enough to have people come and listen to us or have some kind of career in music, then we have to look at the, the business of it and the taking care of it as an equally kind of sacred thing. And then yeah. it stops becoming this, um, you know, like a burden. It's, it's, it's part of the responsibility. Right. To nurture right. it, you nurture something, you know, if you have it, you nurture it, you have a plant, you water it, you take good care of it, you do all that. And the same thing applies to your, you know, the business of your, of, of your, um, your music. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'd add that if you just reduce it to practical selfishness, uh, if you go through life and manage to find joy in all the different aspects of it, it's going to be a lot more pleasant than if you're lamenting most of it and, and just enjoying some little little corner of it. It doesn't make sense. I so agree. I so agree. And and it's reminding me, I got a piece of advice um, back in the early 80s, you know, a few years before we put out our first records, you know, back in 1988. Um both, you know, the two of you and myself as well. And and it was um, a friend named Pam Lobieu, and she was the production coordinator for the Crusaders, for Joe Sample and the mm-hmm. Crusaders. And, and you know, I was lamenting <laughs> at the time, you know, putting together flyers for one of my shows and, you know, licking stamps and, you know, all that. And um, she said, you know, someday, and the sooner you figure this out, the better, someday there will be no difference for you between the actual playing of the music and all the business side of it, That's you know, right. it will, it will all become connected. And when you quit resisting that, a lot of wonderful things will happen for you. It's really, and, that's really, really true advice. If any, you know, it's, it's just really, it's, it'll make a big difference in how you go about the whole thing. It really yeah. will. And, and like you're both saying, um, Tuck, you know, you're talking about bringing joy into it. You know, the intention of of which you do anything um, sets the tone for the experience. Correct. That's right. So I want to um, start with a quote and uh, from Leonard Feather. And and for <laughs> for those people who don't know who Leonard Feather was, he was um, one of the renowned jazz critics. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he wrote. Not since Ella Fitzgerald met Joe Pass on stage has there been so felicitous a mating as Tuck and Patty. It's a, it's a beautiful quote, and it's a kind of a heady quote. So I went and got my thesaurus out <laughs> to, to see <laughs> what that really meant. And, and you know, other words for, for felicitous are blessed, grateful, delightful, gratifying, satisfying, heavenly. And I thought that was really a cool quote. How do you feel about it? Well, for us, we were blown away to get that quote. You know, sure. During that time, if somebody even <laughs> right. said Leonard Feather wants to talk to you. It was like, <laughs> really? Yeah. And uh, also, that inter- <laughs> that whole interview was done in the back of uh, was it a limo? It must have been a limo. After we had we'd, we'd gone, we'd been someplace to do a, a convention in L.A. It was it was in, back in the early days. You know, when your record first came out, and you didn't know what hit you. <laughs> right. You're traveling. You're tired. And you didn't come home for three years and stuff like yes. that. And we, we were had flown from we'd flown from someplace really far and been on the road for like six weeks and had to fly to L.A. for this kind of convention thing. And it was um, near um, Universal and uh, the park and everything. And we went there and we're in a hotel. And then we finished doing all the showcase and stuff. And we had to get back and get to the airport and catch a plane. And he came in the back of this limousine, and we were like changing clothes. And Tuck was getting the guitar packed up for flight, and we're doing this interview in the back of this limousine. And I will never forget that. That's fine. That yeah, good. and you know, one of the things that I remember about Leonard Feather was that anything that was outside of the scope of traditional straight-ahead jazz, he hated. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Generally, yeah. you, you know, yeah. so so to get an interview, I and to to have praise from him for what you were doing, which is being true to yourselves um, and, and looking, you know, searching to find your own voices as both, you know, individual artists, but also as a duo. Uh, you know, I've always loved that about you guys. You know, it's one of the things that from the very first time I heard you and, and um, got to meet you many years ago, it was, you know, I, I just um, thank you. You know, I just want to thank you for, for hold, you know, staying your course 
musically. It's been it a, wasn't a wonderful. So, it really wasn't so hard for us to do because we had each other to reinforce one another, I think. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, of course we had the support of audiences, especially because we, we came up in the San Francisco area where you can do the most outrageous thing and you'll still <laughs> find an audience if you keep doing it. Right. You know, it's just an enormously supportive place for basically anything. Uh, but but having each other also helped us both to stay true to the thing that we believed in and, and also to do it without a lot of effort because it was kind of a joint decision all the time. Uh, but we were a little bit surprised when not only Leonard Feather, but some pretty, what you think of as conservative jazz musicians who would have been on our hero list instead of, you know, damning us by faint praise or, or something like that, really gave us the encouragement, just be yourselves, don't don't worry about what anybody thinks. You, I remember, uh, who was it? Uh, somebody said, you kids, maybe it was Clark Terry, said, you kids just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Don't let anybody tell you what you, what to do. That's fantastic. And, yeah, yeah. That, you know that's that's tremendous reinforcement. You know you wouldn't necessarily expect that. So, I want to uh, take take everybody back to where you both started, and I, and I'm talking about childhood. You know, Tuck, I know that you were born in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and, and Patty, uh, I believe San Francisco. Is that right? Yeah. And grew up in San Mateo. Yeah, um, I did. Can start, Patty. Starting with you, can can you each describe your early childhood and and what led you to a life of being a musician? Well, you know, for me, well, my family number one, there's always music. There's always music playing. There was always a record player. You know, music going on the radio, and my mother had tons of records, and she played everything. She liked all kinds of stuff. She was really, she dragged us to see Minnie Pearl as well as go see, <laughs> you know. Count Basie, you know, so right. she, she would just take us all over the place for all kinds of music stuff. We didn't have a bunch of money, but, you know, you could get these matinee tickets and stuff like that. And so she'd take us and she played music and I loved it. And plus the church with God, you know, growing up in church, Baptist church, of course. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, there you go. Yeah. They were from, you know, Texas. And, um, we grew up going to church. And so they're hearing these amazing singers from the time you're a little kid, just get up and just, oh, just blow your mind. Yeah, Baptist so Church is hands down the best music ever. <laughs> for oh, and it, to me, it's where you you sort of it's your your proving ground because you know sort of in yeah. in that tradition of gospel music, you know the song and you sing it and you learn the song. But if you don't put part of yourself in your your testimony, your seriously so your improvisation, if you don't put yourself into it, it's not really complete. So early on, you're le- you're you know learning that art. Of improvising and making up your own words on the spot and, you mm-hmm. know, singing from your heart and all that. You get that right away early on. Boy, that's a, a great thing to learn as when you're first starting, because it's, it's something that, um, you know, I find a lot of musicians as they're coming up, you know, they might have technique, but they don't have any content, you know, or point of view. So to, yeah. to, to have that instilled in you, you know, the importance of that and the understanding of that at a young age is, uh, that's a big gift. You know, be, just being around them and just watching, you know, cause I'll, back in the day, there wasn't like we could go on YouTube and take lessons and do all that right. stuff. So it was the people that we heard it was putting on those records and listening to every bit of it or, you know, and trying to learn good thinking, wow, this song is so, I, I can't hear it. I'll never, what song was that? I remember when, uh, say a little prayer for you came out. Cause I spent my, you know, my life standing in front of the mirror singing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember when that came out, it was like, wow, it took me a long time to go. Stuff like that. <laughs> and I realized early, wow, I've got to, I'm not hearing that so easily. And so just from listening and listening and listening, how, you know, how it all sinks in for you. I, I knew when I was really little, I wanted to be a singer and that's all I did. I just sang, 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 sang. And sang in church and sang at home and my mother would go, you're Patricia, you're singing. Cause I'd just be singing all the time. I didn't even know it. I sang my way through life. Yeah. You don't, you have a, a twin sister, Peggy. Did she grow up singing as yeah. well with you? She has a great voice. We, we could sing the best duets in church. <laughs> we know we had our classic tunes. We were always asked to sing. And, uh, we just, you know how siblings are. You, there's nothing like, like family harmony. Yeah. So um, before we go to 
before we switch to Tuck, um, you, I know you studied operatic vocal technique as well, and and you were in rock bands and pop bands, and you were even uh, you sang with the Brides of Funkenstein, which I think is you know fantastic. what that somehow so, thing I did not. I did oh, you not. Didn't. I wish I did. Oh, I didn't. Okay. I, somehow, it, you know those things that come up and somebody does it, and it's just sort of this viral over the years thing that yes. everybody says happened, and it did it. not happen. I went the Brides of Funkenstein. Where'd you get that? <laughs> I went to see them a lot, but I, I did not get, that would have well, been thanks. a gig I would have loved to have. Actually, you, you would have tore that up. <laughs> you know, that so. would have been really fun, you know, but no, so, I did not. I well, don't know, for, you know, you don't know where they come from. Right. I've had, yeah, I've had things said about me as well that are very positive, but never happened. <laughs> so, <laughs> I get that. Yeah, I wish. Um, when, when did you start uh, studying vocal technique? Well, I was already singing and playing violin and singing in choirs from school okay. early on. I remember when I was in, you know, the uh, in middle school, uh, they had the big kids choir and the little kids choir, and I was singing in the, you know, second or third grade, and I got to go to the fifth, sixth graders choir, and I would go and, and practice with them and sing, and I just loved it all the time. So I do that, and then with church, I had that. I played violin when I was a little kid. We started that in, you know, middle school or early little, mm-hmm. and. Um, had a great teacher. Then when I got to high school, I'd been doing it for a long time and I was terrible violinist, terrible, terrible. <laughs> I loved it, but I was terrible. And, uh, every once a week he would, each person in the orchestra would get a, a private lesson. There was one time you went to the practice rooms and you practice and he came by and, uh, and sort of checked on what was going on with you. And I would start to play and he'd go, Patty, let's just put the violin down and just sing. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was glad because well, I knew it was just it was painful. Yeah, and but he really you gave had the me, encouragement. It was Owen Fleming, great, great teacher, and he gave me, you know, that foundation. He just started me off with that, and I used to sing in Camerata and different choirs. And he was, we just got a great education. High school was wonderful for me in the music department. I, every time a classical station comes on or anything, I'm I'm amazed at how much we know and how much we were taught. And, so he was a wonderful guy, and he really just laid it down and gave me that foundation that I will, you know, that'll forever serve me. Mm-hmm. And Chuck, what about you? Well, I, I grew up in a family of piano players, uh, but I also grew up in a family of lawyers and engineers. So I guess I just sort of inherited the ability to analyze things and break them down and so forth. And so I, I played piano classical piano for for several years before I got excited about playing in rock bands. And at that point, you didn't really want to be the piano player if you're trying to play Rolling Stones songs. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to play the guitar. So I switched to guitar just to, just to play rock and roll. And, uh, and then I basically just fell in love with the guitar. Uh, I didn't really care particularly what kind of music or anything else. It was just fascinating to me. And uh, at some point, I made what I view now as a very fortunate kind of analytical decision. I realized, uh, because by this time I was listening to jazz and I was listening to Jimi Hendrix and it didn't take very long before I got turned on to some really great stuff. And Wes Montgomery was a big hero. And I remember just reasoning that all these people learned by experience and by, by developing huge ears and not by studying theory or looking in books and so forth. And I reasoned, okay, one of your greatest strengths is your ability to analyze things and, uh, and categorize and all that kind of stuff, you'd better be really careful because your mind will get way ahead of whatever little bit of talent you've got and <laughs> and here. So I made the conscious decision to, to learn the way my heroes had by listening, by playing, by experimenting, and to basically keep keep all the knowledge part, the, the left brain part, not so much in the background, but kind of in the background, or at least to make sure that it was always in service of ear. If you know, if I read in a book, oh, John Mahegan says to play this inversion, then I wouldn't go much farther than that. And I'd say, okay, well, what does that sound like? And I'd figure out what it sounded like, and then I'd start working with it, gnawing on it like you gnaw on a bone. Uh, so that that was maybe one of the most important decisions of my life and at a time when I had no idea what the implications of it would be. But as a result, I developed a great ear and, uh, and also spent a huge amount of time going down every conceivable blind alley. <laughs> uh, so just just yeah. sort of you know if you randomly walk long enough, 
it's probably like the theory behind the early automatic vacuums. You know, sooner or later, you're going to go over all the territory. And I think that kind of happened with me. It made me a much better teacher now because no matter how how misguided and, and, and contorted somebody's experience is, I can relate entirely. Yeah, I've been there. That makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, so but anyway, that, so, for better or for worse, that that was a decision, and it informed basically everything else that's happened to me musically since then. That that adds a lot of clarity and shines a light to how you turned out to be the 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 the, the fearless kind of guitarist that you are, and and curious guitarist that you are that comes through. Uh, with both of you, uh, you know, that you're always um, very um, present, you know, and and open and in the moment with each other and the song, you know. Yeah, and, well, and you, you both... know what a duo will do for you. I'm sure you, you know, you've yeah. done that. It's yes. It demands your undivided attention. It sure does. It and sure that's does. really a great thing. You know, you have to, we both space out and then the music stops. I remember the first time we were at a gig and we both... You know, you're playing in a band and you're just going along and you stop and take a breath for a minute and the band keeps on going. And we had one of those moments where it just happened that we both did that at the same time. <laughs> everything stopped and it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Let's see what this is. So, the, 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 stay right there. Yeah, it was literally from then on, from that turning point, it was 100%, 100% of the time. And neither of, of us had ever experienced that kind of relentless intensity before. That's intensity. part of why we're hooked yeah. on the duo. Yeah. You know, one, one of the things that I think I remember accurately is, is back in the day, you used to set up um, microphones to, to mic the audience as well so that you could stay connected with them with your yeah. in-ears. And we I, still do you know, that. You still do? Mm-hmm. Can you, can you talk about that for a moment? Well, yeah, we've, uh, we, we used to have a two mics. I mean, I mean, if you want to do it right, you get shotgun mics. You have somebody mix a separate audience mix and bring it up and down appropriately. And our first exposure to this idea was when Stevie Wonder, one of the pioneers in, in ear monitors, was doing exactly that, and we got to listen to his monitor mix. So that's the dream we all dream. But the reality is, we got a couple of uh, SM58s or you know some standard <laughs> mic and pointed them in, you know, kind of across each other and panned them in our headphones and then set up a volume pedal so we could turn them up and down. And later we replaced those mics with something better and more miniature. But still, it's the same concept. Patty has a volume control built into a little box on her microphone that adjusts the volume of the audience mics in our headphones. And the image is such that if somebody says something, we can we will automatically look basically within a few degrees of the direction where they are and it gives us an idea of what's going on. That said, we've gradually discovered that when we're playing music, the overall purpose is best served if we basically turn off the audience and just lose ourselves in the music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and turn it, I turn it up in between. That makes sense. Yeah, the so people still... are really, we can feel them and hear them, but it's not like we're in a spacesuit with the monitors, but it really, we just sort of, I turn it up in the middle so I can talk and hear people or when they're singing and stuff like that, but... You don't need it that the other way because it's coming through the mic anyway. I have this theory that it causes us to experience people more on the heart level or, you know, some nonverbal level uh, than on just the surface level, the the outer level of, of ordinary communication. I have no way of knowing whether that's true or not, but that's an excuse I use all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it, it seems that it, that it um, sort of casts the net a little bit further to – in creating a deeper level of intimacy, you know, or bringing the audience into that level of intimacy that you have with each other. That's a good point. That's a really good point, I think. Yeah, and and it could be argued, Patty and I used to be kind of stunned by this, but it it could be argued that the fact that we started using in-ear monitors very early in in our career, we're some of the first users of them, and, and so we were playing little, restaurants, you know, the, the same, we're just starting out and we had in-ear monitors. Uh, and so we could be in a noisy bar, basically completely undistracted by whatever mm. was going on around us, lost in the music with each other with a kind of focus and intensity that can be kind of hard to muster in those situations. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of willpower to, to <laughs> kind of mentally and spiritually shut out 
all the, the noise. <laughs> right. Yeah, so that yeah, exactly. So this this was a tremendous aid. It's not that we couldn't hear that stuff, but it was just reduced yeah. enough that we could kind of focus. And then that means that the average person who happens to randomly wander into this venue right. looks over in the in the corner and sees what you know uh, figuratively speaking, this kind of like a ball of fire going on over there for no purpose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, right. uh, and and we saw it happen a lot of times. You know, somebody would they were there for some other reason entirely, and they just got curious, like what's going on over there? You know, we're all drawn to that. It's uh, it, it's uh, it's sort of just like a TV that's on with no sound on it, mm-hmm. you know, in the room, and your eye is kind of drawn because of the motion. Well, that happened with us, and so these these noisy bars that we were first playing in, or, you know, restaurants after dinner, that kind of thing, would gradually turn into listening audiences over a period of a few weeks of playing in them. And I think the, the in-ear monitors had a huge effect. Mm-hmm. I can see that, yeah. So, hey guys, can you describe a typical day for each of you? I'm wondering how how do you balance your time, especially since um, in the way that we started this conversation about <laughs> becoming our own marketing people, how do you balance your time between practice, arranging, recording, running your business, family, staying healthy, and leaving time <laughs> for fun? <laughs> but you know, lately, uh, it. it sort of life is different if we're on the road or preparing for gigs and advance, you know, advancing concert, you know, we have good booking agent, good lawyer. Okay. So mm-hmm. you've got good, good booking agents, Europe and, and here and good lawyer, everything else we do. Uh, so there's a lot of advancing of gigs and so a lot of places we've played at, whether it's in Europe or wherever we, we know people, we have relationships with them. So it's not like a big, long thing to advance a gig at this point. But there's a different world that's going on when we're doing that. I'm pretty much the travel person, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I'll go ahead and you know look up hotels and stuff. That it, in Europe, much more uh, promoters take care of that. But I still check on them and make sure everything is everything and mm-hmm. um, smart and do that part and travel research and well, you know making reservations and doing stuff like that. And Tuck is on all technical advancing stuff like that. And what else, T? I mean, that's sort of like, that's a part of our life that happens all the time. You know, there was a time back in the day that we had secretaries in an office and all that stuff. But I, honestly, we knew as years went by, if we kept that up, you know, especially with everything you're paying, we wouldn't be out mm-hmm. of business, you know. That's right. We never had to have an entourage. At the most, we had a tour manager who doubled as a sound person early on. Um, and that was basically supposed to be for driving and stuff like that. But, you know. And we were working well, enough that we needed it. And one but, of your tour so, managers was your niece. Yeah, yeah, we took, <laughs> yeah, ironically, <laughs> you, you've been working yeah. for recently. <laughs> yeah, she, did, she didn't do that early on. She used to just hang out. And it was a okay. big surprise for her. The first time she got to be tour manager, we just sprung it on her at the, when we got there. Um, no, so we didn't have all that stuff. So that's one one world. Now, because we've become record producers and, and engineers and all that stuff and are producing other people's records, pretty much that's a, you know, that's a nonstop kind of thing when we're getting projects out and getting stuff done. Luckily, we have the studio downstairs in the garage, mm-hmm. unless we're doing like drums and bigger you know, horn sections and stuff for them. And then we take that to a different studio to track it. But we do all the mixing and all that stuff here. And uh, so that's a whole different world which is, you know, it's consuming. And how do you manage to stay, Patty, how do you manage to stay healthy through this? Especially, um, I mean, it's it's a challenge and I think it's really important for all of us. But I know that uh, many, many years ago, you had a transition where you changed your diet and you quit smoking and drinking. Oh, yeah, that was a zillion years ago. That was like early 80s. 80s. But but how how do you factor in staying healthy time? And this question goes for the two of you. Yeah, I'm really boring on the road. I'm pretty <laughs> much really boring. I, I I would love to go out sometimes. You know, we're in Paris. Well, let's go. But we have a bunch of gigs. We haven't had a day off in three weeks. And I've spent, you know, the whole time there just going to the venue and going to the, the gig. You just don't right. have the time. So I make that a priority. Um, and I'm quiet. Keep a, I travel with a... A, humid, a vaporizer, I don't like humidifiers, a vaporizer because it steams mm-hmm. and it's a little healthier. I travel everywhere with that, get to the hotel room, set it up, and 
you know, for vocals and singing every day and, you know, driving in the car, you know, you want to talk and hang out, but you know you can't talk because right. if you're talking in the car and you can be heard, you're yelling. So I'm pretty, mm-hmm. you know, I'm pretty careful with, with my uh, with my voice and, uh, you know, just I'm quiet and I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty, I, I'm not at, I'm not on vacation, you know, we're in Europe and we're all these great places, but we're we're at work. And so I really... I really view it that way. And uh, I guess that's really the, been my, my philosophy about it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's your, it's your vocal cords. You've got to take right. care and, of Right, and fortunately for you, you're traveling with, with not a whole band, but, but a partner, your husband, who, who understands that and res- oh, yeah. respects that. So you don't have to be educating anybody, you know. Yeah. Along the way, well, talk. What about you? What, uh, you know, rest uh, like? rest is good for everybody, and and kind of being focused or turning off and before turning on can can cause you to turn on more. And uh, I mean, I think we both have a slightly athletic uh, perspective on what we do when we're actually doing it. It's, I mean, it's got we got to be completely on top of it from the first note. It's just an agreement we made a long time ago. There's no like. Well, we'll warm up by doing an easy song. We'll warm into it. No, that you know, it's cold plunge, and uh, mm-hmm. and so you want to be as ready as you can. That said, we're very careful not to be fussy about any advanced preparations for a show. You know, I have to light the candle and have X minutes of anything. Mm-hmm. You know, forget that. That's just a setup to uh, to, to fail. You just got to be ready. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. You know, Patty taught me at an early point. You just got to be ready. You know, if you're going to go on that TV show. You know, it matters from note one. You may not have had any chance to play that day or that week or that month or whatever, but it's time to go. So let's go. So, right. so I I get the benefit of Patty's focus on that as well, and I get the benefit of the fact that she travels with a vaporizer, which makes air quality nice and humid and, and comfortable in hotels and so forth. But I my my approach is to try to be vigorous. I think what happened was, uh, as a guitar player, I have an unusually uh, kind of aggressive physical approach, which includes uh, a lot of attention to staccato, you know, minimum duration, sudden motions. And so that has infected the rest of my life in a way that looks actually a little peculiar, but gives me actually, gives me exercise constantly in life. I don't, I sort of don't do very many things gradually and slowly and, and continuously. I do a lot of things discontinuously. The, the reaching for a cabinet to open the cabinet involves a kind of jab toward the cabinet, <laughs> stopping just in time not to hurt anything or me, and then opening the door appropriately, carefully, but maybe kind of fast. You know, so I, I sort of live that way and uh, and I get a lot of exercise as, as a result. I run up and down stairs whenever I get a chance at home. On the road, I kind of try to talk people out of helping me do things like move equipment around and load cars and Different cultures that can be pretty tricky. In in Italian, I in Italy, I finally learned if you just say I have a system, then all of a sudden everybody quits trying to to help you and respects right. it. So I learned the word right. for system in Italian and changes everything. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you don't have to be concerned about um, insulting them or disrespecting well, them. Well, people yeah. just want to help. You know? Yeah, they want to help. Everybody want wants to help. help. I want to help too. But uh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And Italy, in Italy, they want to coach. And so you get a bunch of people who are trying to tell you how to do it, and you can really <laughs> get, uh, you know, I really appreciate the spirit of it. it I mean, it's, it's cool, but, you know, that's, we, we managed to stay at five-star hotels where I'm the guy that they'll let actually load his own car. <laughs> <laughs> Very impressive. <laughs> that, that, crazy, that crazy American. Uh, but, but, yeah, you know, life is life. A, a lot of stuff we do involves sitting in, you know, like in the studio. You're sitting in a chair all day, but you've got to get up and move around and, and, uh, and be sure to think some thoughts and this kind of stuff. Um, a, a quick question about in, your philosophy on endorsements and and if Patty, if, if you've got a favorite microphone that you use or mm-hmm. uh, Chuck, you know, guitar strings. Any? Do you, do you, I don't know. So the question is, do either one of you have long term endorsements with any particular company, and how do you choose them? We never did that. I mean, nope. finally, I remember when we were out with Annie. Annie goes, "You're buying strings, Tuck. You could have gotten strings years ago." <laughs> and he just didn't do it. I, we somehow sort of backed into this 
audiophile kind of world. Yeah. And so a lot of people who are really, you know, sort of our heroes in the, in the building of equipment and doing all that stuff and were really mentors and helped us. And so they actually gave us stuff. You know, Helen and John Meyer gave us our first, you know, studio monitors. Mm-hmm. And um, so because of that, remember the guy from Monster Cable that came over and he just wanted to give us cable to put it when we were building our studio. So we kind of backed into it that way. And we were in ads a few times for that, but we never really went out and sought that. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's sort of a missing thing. Also, we, we kind of didn't want to ever, you know, be endorsing something that we didn't actually use. Right. Yeah. And that we didn't really love. And so that just sort of worked out the way that it was. I, I know it really helps in, in some times for, for a lot of artists, but we never went that route. People would sort of ask us and then it would, it, it would happen that way or they, you know, give us equipment and we'd meet mm-hmm. them. We used to go, you know, go to the AES and keep up with everything. And, sure and do all that stuff. So we sort of kept up with all that. We had some pretty high-end stuff, though, and right. and uh, it often occurs to me that, you know, I don't know if these guys really need my endorsement. You know, everybody everybody on the top level in the, in the world is buying DPA mics and Millennia preamps and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, their client list just reads like the who's who of, of great audio. So do they really need us, you know, but but we're happy to say that that we you know Patty's been using uh, well now it's DPA at the time it was B and K mics for mm-hmm. the for her entire career both uh, I mean for our entire time together both uh, mm-hmm. in the studio and live and you know the Millennia preamp is just like it's perfect we, we even got them to build a guitar version of it which is mounted on my uh, on my recording guitar so uh, but. It, but there's really kind of no endorse, no formal endorsement thing that ever happens. It's true. Right. It turned out for us really to be more friends. You know, there's a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. We have relationships yeah. with those people, with a lot of people. And, and, uh, so that's how it all came. You know, that's how it, it stays. It's, it's kind of odd, but I think maybe I was going to say earlier, I think sincerity can, can open a lot of doors for you in ways you don't expect. And we were nothing if not sincere about, about, being responsible for trying to make ourselves sound as good as we could because we thought that's a component. If you want to touch people's hearts, they've got to hear it, and if they're going to hear it, the better they can hear it, the better chance it has of, of getting directly to their heart. And so I think that that people who were on the engineering and technical side of that caught on to that pretty early on, that we were really dead serious about that and, and came at them with a uh, with. Lots of questions. Yeah, well, lots of questions, lots of humility, because how could we be anything other than, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the presence of some of these great people who, who have mentored us, essentially, uh, over the years. You know, Bernie Grunman has been really generous with us in just yeah. explaining things and even showing us his signal path and rewiring it and letting us do tests down there and all kinds of crazy mm-hmm. stuff. But it's obviously because he saw musicians that were really, really interested in the audio part of of what he did. Right. And, and Bernie, I, I love working with Bernie as well. And, and he, he has such, um, an appreciation and a passion for, um, those of us that are, um, have a commitment to making audiophile quality records. Yeah. You know, the, huh? yeah, so. you know it, it just feels like it's an honor to go be with him, you know, for Isn't a mastering it? session every time we get to. Me too. Me too. It's, I, I couldn't agree more on that. Um, you're, you're mentioning your, your niece, Annie, who, um, is, um, better known as a pop artist as St. Francis, who you, you just St. Vince, I'm sorry, St. Vincent. Yeah. I didn't have my notes in front of me. Um, and, uh, you just came back from, uh, a tour with her. And also I know that you have been in the studio with her as well. Can you talk about that for a moment? Yeah, the tour was a lot of fun. It was January and February, and we, uh, she, said, you know, hey guys, I've got this, this great idea. I want you. She, she always comes up with these great ideas, and so she said, I've got this great idea. Why don't you guys come on the road and open for me on my tour of the U.S. in January and February? And uh, Patty sort of said, Annie, do you realize that that would not normally be considered sensible? There's enough enough of an age gap right. that that <laughs> we're not a, arguably we're not inappropriate. 
and will do you harm, not good. It doesn't even have to do with whether we're any good or not. And she said, uh, you know, no, don't worry about any of that. Just wear white. I'll take care of everything else. <laughs> and so she created a set. We said, okay, we'll do it. Went on the bus, tour bus with her and everything. She created a set for us, put, printed these uh, kind of like programs or brochures or flyers or something that explained that she was showing her history on this tour and that we were a big part of her history and the relationship and so forth. And if, by a few dates into it, people were calling us Auntie Patty and Uncle Tuck and, and sing along with <laughs> the lyrics. So Annie proved once again that she's got some pretty good ideas, even if unorthodox. And we had a great time. The tables were totally turned from the earlier years where sure. you know, we had taken the wide-eyed girl. You know, she was a girl at that time, out on the road all over the world, and sort of sh shown her the ropes. It was obvious to us pretty early on that she was going to be yeah. massively successful, at both both artistically and uh, in, in the music business. She, it was just obvious. Uh, so, uh, do you both but in, do you both find performing in in large venues like you just did with with um, with Annie to be more challenging than smaller intimate venues? Do you approach it differently? Or in our career, we've done the same. We've done that over the years. We've had right. big things. We still play big jazz festivals and stuff like that in Europe and around. Right. So we've done the whole thing. This one was. It's really. It, this reminded me sort of like in the beginning days of it. Some some time, some ways playing mm -hmm. you know big big festivals with people standing. You know, we'd get there because we were from America, you know, we'd play and we'd get to Europe and everybody's standing. We're like, whoa, okay. <laughs> and so um, it was it was like that. We have we have a we have a sort of a pact we made again years ago, whether we're playing for two people or one person or thousands of people. It's the same. It's the same energy. It's the same, you know, intensity. It's all that, that makes stuff. sense. I, I, yeah, because the, the two people that came at the club when you were playing and nobody showed up, you know, <laughs> deserve as good a show as the people that when there's Absolutely. a zillion people there. So, right, your show is the same whether there's two people in the audience or twenty thousand. That's right. Yeah. It's also, we also set it up technically so that our experience is pretty close to the same, and and make sure in sound checks that the audience's experience is also as close to uh, the same. You know, by just tuning systems and that kind of stuff so that it, it sounds good in any venue or in, in, in each venue. You know, yeah. It's, right. It's a one at a time process. And that helps too. that. Once again, in-ear monitors pay off because it's not weird to, to go from playing in a small club to an right. outdoor festival right. or a big, you know, cacophonous cathedral, even, you know, the, the, the nightmare for a lot of people, at least in-ear monitors mitigate that a lot, but it was really right. sweet to play for, for, some of these are young kids, although she's got fans that look like us, you know, because she's good. And so it makes right. sense that right. she would have people of all generations would find out and, and dig it. But uh, they were extremely receptive to us. And, and Patty didn't hesitate to do things like uh, uh, like slow ballads that kind of require one to lose himself in, in the music. She'd do that for mm -hmm. the second song and not even hesitate. And they'd go right along. You could hear pin drop. And it was it was. Great. That's great. That's for fantastic. Us. Yeah, and it was also, I'm sure it was good for Annie because she likes a challenge. She's a person who likes to rise to any occasion. And she had been at, at an earlier point uh, opening the show with a, a film that she had created. But there's no substitute for having live musicians in terms of the energy push that happens. And it's it's exactly the same way we feel. You know, we we, we want you know, earth, wind and fire energy opening for us. Cause that's going to make us play our best. Right. Yeah. Her, her, um, adventurous, um, uh, attitude towards music leads me to my next question. In addition to going out on the road with her, with her, um, she, uh, just asked you to produce a children's album and work with her in the studio, which, which I know you did. And, you know, and I know people don't know this, not enough people know this about you both, but you both are also teaching and mentoring and producing other artists now. And uh, can you talk about that for a moment? Well, we've been doing that for, for quite a few years. I mean, we, we, we started teaching even before we had records and stuff. And then we, right. 
the first record came out and we told our students we'll be back in a month and we didn't come home for like eight or nine years. So, and then as time presented, we do master classes and different things around the world and do stuff like that. But we didn't have time to do, to do uh, uh, one-on-one lessons. And when, when time finally gave itself to be, for us to be able to do that, we started doing Skype lessons because we have students from all over the world and that made it a great way for, to be able to contact, reach them. And uh, so we've always loved to do that. I mean, it's, there's a point where you, you, I'm sure there's people that you loved and wished, boy, when I was coming up, I wished so much that they had, you know, taught a class. How amazing Absolutely. would it have been to go to the, the Ella Fitzgerald's master class? You know? yes, yeah. <laughs> and so it's great to, to be able to go and see people. And, you know, the world has been such now that it's, it's open for folks. So we're committed to that. And, uh, both love teaching, both love helping people to, you know, Tuck is really good at being a, Tuck is really good at helping to sort of demystify his style. He's a great teacher. Really, I really just love that about him. I see his students just really glow and, and it doesn't have to take forever. You know, it's like going to, if you go to the therapist, you don't want to be going to the same therapist for a zillion years. You want to have results and Right. move on. And so the idea for us is to have students. It's great. And I'd love to see you as much as I can, but you know, you really don't need me now. It's like time to work on this stuff and then come back if you have questions and let people, you know, so that they can actually get something and move ahead. Both of us really teach, have, have that sort of idea philosophy with our, our students. Well, in, in, I was looking at your website and, you know, one of the things, Patty, that I know that you focus on in, in your teaching and mentoring is, effective practice and vocal health, learning how to hear, communicating mm-hmm. your intention. Uh, and, you know, Tuck, uh, you talk about demystifying the fingerboard and, and using visualization um, and, and improving techniques so that it works for you rather than against you. And, yeah. uh, you know, the, you're, you're both of your, um, you know, you see this more holistically and, and, and I think it's, it it allows you, well, it allows your students to to get greater benefit because you're not just talking about where to you know you know how to fill your diaphragm when you're you know getting ready right. to sing a note or or you know where your thumb should be behind the neck you know on the <laughs> guitar you're, you're I mean that's part of it but you're talking about the bigger yeah, picture is. as well. Yeah, I'm, you just hit on something that I think is really important. I hadn't even really thought about it that way, but. Uh, the way I usually think about it is each person is, is an individual human, completely unique, even if they have elements in common. And so one of the big challenges for a teacher, but one of the big advantages, if you get somebody who's experienced and can kind of judge these things, and you can do it one-on-one rather than in, in a group situation, is that is the possibility that you can get pretty close to you know, the real nitty-gritty. What does that person actually need in order to accomplish what it is that that person you know, what, whatever their, their dharma is, what is it they're supposed to do in their life with music? How can, how can we help them do that? And to us, it's really the same philosophy, whether it's teaching or it's producing. Uh, I mean, even if we mix albums sometimes without producing them. You know, the tracks come to us and we mix them, and it's still the same thing. How do you help them realize the, the best version of what it is they're going for? And it's, it, it's kind of neat. After we spent so long focused on our own thing, you know, our own dream, it's mm-hmm. really satisfying to just lend ourselves and embrace somebody else's dream, help them figure out what it is if need be, and uh, and then figure out okay how are we going how are we going to get that? And that might apply to well, you need to clean up your technique because you're not able to execute what it is you really want to play, or it might be you know uh, does this song want bass and drums or does it want accordion or or mm-hmm. should should you do this in a different key with a different feel? You know, let's experiment till we find out what really resonates. Those are all really um, invaluable pieces of information that um, that can only be, <clears throat> I think, shared um, from you know from having had the life experience that the two of you have had of um, you know your wonderful training when you were younger and being exposed to all this fantastic music in both of your families. Um, but also just the, the very high, um, bar that you've set for your, for yourselves, you know, and, you know, and always, you know, the thing, 
you know, both of you have technique, but, but technique is, is the furthest thing from really what you're, what makes your music so special. You know, it's, it's the, I think the tool that allows everything else to happen. But, you know, what I see in the two of you and here is the, the passion, the integrity, the, the love you have for each other, the love for the song, um, the love for the audience, the, the <laughs> love, you know, seems to be love and joy seems to be a, a, a key word in how you approach everything. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's such a gift, to, number one, to be able to say, you know, what do you do for your living? Oh, you make music? <laughs> you, know? you get to travel around the world and play, sing about love? Really? <laughs> what an amazing job, it, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and how blessed we are to be able to do that. And, and not, we, I mean, we've, we've been together now for, what, 40 years, so we don't take anything for granted, you know, <laughs> right. It's, it's a, ple- it's a pleasure and it's a, you know, we're, we're getting older now. So, you know, you don't know there's going to be the last time, you know, that's right. I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's yeah. coming. So, yeah. um, just to be grateful for it and to, I don't know, just, just being, just being grateful, being, <laughs> being, uh, it's not even about being humble or anything. It's just really being grateful for what you've been given because right. you get the opportunity to, and in this moment, but for all artists, all through time, you get that moment to uh, try to come in and bring a little, a moment of peace in this insanity. Mm-hmm. And people Amen. are, you know, everybody wants to, to believe that it's possible, that peace is possible in the midst of craziness, and we never give that up, really. And to get up and be able to, in, without a word... We don't have to go, you know, into Tech and I, we show up at this concert. We don't have to get on stage and talk about the, you know, equality among races or any of that stuff, or let's all work together and be together. We just walk on stage. We already said everything we need to do just by showing up mm-hmm. together. It's just said. And, uh, you know, in times like this, we, we have to speak out. Luckily, as songwriters, and as a songwriter, I've been able to write pretty much everything it is I want to say about uh, what's going on in our world and what's going yeah. on in life. And, and so I get to do that through songs because everybody knows what's going on. Everybody right. knows what's, how we're feeling. So it, in, the, in the moment of a song, it's all said, all of it's yes. said. And so you know, that, that, Boy, I, I I wish I could let you continue on down that path for another hour. We have four minutes left in this conversation. I want to oh ask you. I know it just <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, but I want to I want to collectively ask you my closing questions that I ask all of my guests, and and you can you can answer together um, as as partners. Um, and I'll tell you what these questions are. One is a two part question. What is making it? mean to you both personally and professionally. And, and I'm wondering if you can share three tips for success that have driven your career. And if you can answer that short and concise, because I have one other closing question for you. So what is making it mean to you and three tips for success? So for me, making it is the, the moment that I was able to stand up on stage and sing and people came and they listened to it. And I felt I could touch hearts. That's what I wanted to do since I was five years old. And Hmm. That, for me, is making it. Yep, I, I agree with that entirely. I think we don't define it in financial terms, even though we all have to think about it, but uh, we have much more of like a lilies of the field mentality of if we do what it is we're given to do in life with as much you know, love and passion and, and attention as we can, then other things will tend to take care of themselves, and, uh, and that's how it has seemed to work. What was the part two of that question? Um, three three tips for success that have driven your career. Follow your heart. You've got to believe in yourself, and you've got to take your own counsel. Ultimately, you really have to do that. And so that means go inside and find out what does you really want to say. What do you want people to feel like when they leave there? What's going on there? Two, really honesty with yourself. Are you prepared to, you know, I used to tell my vocal students, 
do you want to go to the prom or do you want to play at the prom? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so there's some decision making that you could do early on. And um, so those are the things, two things. And, and also just respect for your, for yourself, for the people you're working with, for the, you know, the audience, for everyone, just a, a respect and a love and, and, uh, treating people the way you want to be treated. We call it the happy camper thing. Maybe you didn't sleep. Maybe your bag has got lost. Maybe something happens, but it doesn't mean that you're not supposed to just, you know, be kind to all the people that are working so hard to make it happen for you. Mm-hmm. And Chuck? Uh, I would only add that I find it extremely useful to just be, to, to take a real brutal, uh, uh, Self, make a brutal self-examination of your attributes and figure out what you're strong at, what you're weak at, what the ways in which you're likely to trip yourself up because most people actually stand in their own way more than anything else does. Uh, so figure out what what are you good at and leverage that stuff, you know, and embrace it and love it and be proud of it and, and enjoy it and get better and better, but also be sure you trim up the weaknesses that could be self-defeating. Uh, you know, if you're a lazy person, figure out how to use that for your benefit, but then be sure you're not lazy in the places where it's going to mess you up. Absolutely. In our last minute and a half, um, the final question is at this point of your life, both of you with everything that you know to be true, what would you tell your younger self? (laughs) Don't worry so much. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be all right. It all works out. (laughs) Just, Chill out. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, good luck. <laughs> you, you don't know what's coming. <laughs> Just get ready and enjoy it. Yeah, really enjoy the ride because it's going to be Mr. Toeswell ride a lot of it. <laughs> um, thank you. <laughs> that's so that's so wonderful. Um, everybody, uh, you can go to tuckandpatty.com. Uh, to if you want to study or or um, collaborate and produce be produced by these wonderful artists uh, you can find them through there and also uh, we'll post the website as well on on our site thank you uh, Tuck and Patty Patty and Tuck it's uh, just such a pleasure to to have you on the show I really appreciate you spending the hour with me and um if, for those who don't know the music go check this out and it's ev- the music is everything that we've been talking about for the last hour uh so thank you guys thanks terry really really wonderful we are really appreciated and it's been great and what so fast <laughs> <laughs> uh thanks everybody for listening and we will definitely see you next week This is Tim Dolbear from Eclectica Studios. I'm a full-time mixing and recording engineer. I work with Grammy winners, labels, and indie artists using state-of-the-art digital mixing and restoration tools and the very best in analog gear. Really, though, it's my ability to bring tracks to life and fulfill your vision for your music. This has made me sought after by producers and artists worldwide. So spend your time working on music and not chasing a mix down a rabbit hole. Go to timdolbear.com and check out our free one-song mix offer. You know what's all around you every waking moment of your life? Marketing. You're choking on it. I'm Scott Robertson, and when it comes to strategic PR, branding, and marketing, I've seen it all. And actually, I'm still seeing it because bad marketing never sleeps. Join me each week on May the Best Brand Win right here on Intertalk Radio and learn how to make the marketing for your brand unforgettable.
Are you serious about your music? Are you ready to run with the big dogs? The experts at Pitbull Audio have the gear to get you into the game. From leading manufacturers like Mesa Boogie, Fender, Pioneer, and American Audio. To sound your best, you need the best. Pitbull Audio can deliver in rehearsal, on stage, and into the big time. Dropping beats, shredding guitar, or making the crowd roar. Whatever you dream, Pitbull Audio can help make it happen. We are Pitbull Audio. We want you to play it loud. PitbullAudio.com.